Proverbs chapter 6. As we, as we come into Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 20, sort of halfway through the chapter. Uh, we're going to be hitting a common theme that we've been seeing time and time again in this book of Proverbs, and that is sexual immorality. And, and I think about that. Why is it that Solomon sees the need to constantly be harping on this subject? You know, it's a subject that, honestly, I would rather not have to teach on. Uh, but when you look at society, sexual sin is devastating, right? It's leaving a fire all around us. The frequency of it, the abundance of it, and the effect of it uh, go very deep in people's lives. And the world that we live in is given over to it, really. If it feels good, then do it. Paul would actually speak to a church that was surrounded by sexual immorality in the first century in the church of Corinth when he said this. He said, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now, but as long as we understand that, that's important. But Paul would go on to say this, in case we misrepresent what he's saying, well, this is my body, I can do what I want with it. it. Might be a conclusion if you just stop there. But he goes on to say this to us Christians. He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's from 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. And so as Christians, no matter what the form of sexual sin, whatever form that it takes, whether it be prostitution, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friend with benefits that we might say today, a married person that you should not, not even go near that person, pornography, Romance novels, chat rooms, co-workers, neighbors, you name it. There's a million different faces, but it all comes down to the same thing, which is this is something that God forbids. Why? Not because he wants to keep us from enjoying pleasure. No, he's the author of that pleasure, right? And as the author of pleasure, he designed it with a purpose. He designed it for our benefit. So... It's not that he's trying to keep us from enjoying sexual pleasure. He's trying to help us to actually enjoy it more. Because when we do it in the parameters that he set, we find freedom, we find blessing, we find good things. And so we get to verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. We've seen this before, right? Tie them around your neck. And when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. Isn't that beautiful? That the word of God will go with you every single minute of the day. Whether you're waking up, whether you're walking to your job, whether you're in a difficult situation that you find yourself in, or even as you lie down to sleep, the word of God is there with you, ministering to you, renewing your mind, protecting you, preparing you, right? How many times have you read something in the morning only to find that later on in the day, that was the exact word that you needed for that day? That God is so faithful to meet us where we're at and to prepare us. But when we don't have the word of God, then we're running on an empty tank. And when we face life and situations that the day brings, we're not ready for those things. We're not prepared. We miss out on what God had for us. For the commandment 
is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. Do not lust after her beauty. He's not obviously just talking about outward things here, is he? Rather, he shows us again that it all stems from the heart, that it all stems from a desire. And that desire is like a spark that begins a flame within a matter of minutes. And so it's a warning to guard our heart and also to guard our eyes because our eyes, in a sense, are that portal to the soul that whatever our eyes ingest will ultimately fill our hearts with something, whether it's good or not so good. Notice he warns us about her eyelids here. You know, that that clever wink of the seductive women. Um, Back in those days, women would actually use a mixture of blackburn or crushed animin uh, on the eyes. You know, it would create this blacking effect, just sort of like eyeshadow today, and they would do it in a very seductive manner. You know, and and typically that was a a dark, very dark black picture, so you could call her old black eyes. But um, archaeologists have actually uncovered cosmetic boxes, bowls, and spoons from biblical days. And so ladies, not much has changed when it comes to wanting to uh, put makeup on, on the face. Uh, but there is a way, of course, that makes it seductive and there's a way that makes it presentable. And again, this is actually meant to deceive the type of makeup that this is referring to. Verse 26, by the means of a harlot, a man is reduced to crust of bread. And so he's speaking here, of course, of a prostitute. And the fact that those who live this sort of lifestyle will ultimately end up with probably nothing. Maybe you think of the prodigal son who went out and spent all the resources on hookers and, and, and booze probably. Not much different from what happens today in, in American society. And the prodigal son was there and he spent all of the resources. But praise the Lord, you know, as we look at this text, the, Proverbs is really hard on us at times. Because it's just hitting us with truth. It's just telling us the facts. It's trying to give us wisdom to live out life. But I'm so thankful that Jesus told that story of the prodigal son, right? Because we see the heart of the father in that. That If we find ourselves in this place, God has mercy on us. And I would just challenge us as believers as we look through this book in Proverbs. You know, I pray that you've never had to encounter a prostitute in this manner. But maybe you come across people who have. And I would pray that we would have the heart of the father and not the heart of the older brother when it comes to the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son who spent all that money on loose living, his heart wasn't right with the father, but neither was the religious son. Neither was the son who did everything right. In fact, I think that son was actually further from the father's heart than the prodigal son. And so even as we look at this, we see the warnings. Because why? Because God wants to warn us. He wants to protect us. And so a man is reduced to a crust of bread. It literally will cost him possibly everything. The only thing he'll have left is just a a little crumb. (laughs) Everything else will be destroyed. And I've seen men whose lives have been destroyed by prostitution. You know, living in New York City, there there were streets, there were corners where everything was just X-rated. And I would see men who would just off to the races. As soon as they got the paycheck, it was off to sexual pleasure. Because in that kind of city, there's every kind of pleasure under the sun. 
But notice he doesn't just stop with the harlot or the prostitute. Here's where we're going to go with this even further tonight. This is the second category of the wicked woman or the seductress. And an adulteress will prey upon his life. See, it's a contrast. The prostitute may cost the man all of his material wealth and even his physical health, of course, through STDs. But the adulteress will cost him his very life. Notice the contrast there. See, all sin carries a price to be paid, right? No matter what kind of sin that we're dealing with, there is a price to it. The question that we have to ask ourselves, though, is am I willing to pay that price? Am I willing to pay that price? The fool that we're going to see tonight doesn't think about the price. The fool doesn't think about the consequences or the long-term implications. The fool says, I want pleasure and I want it right now. And I will push those consequences out of my mind. I won't think about them. I might even know them. I've learned in my life sometimes consequences aren't even, they're not even sufficient teachers at times because we do the same thing over and over and over again and we think, when will I learn? I mean, it's the same consequence. It's the same story. It has the same ending and yet it doesn't always teach me. No, I need the Lord to teach me. I need the Spirit of God to take the truth of God's Word and make it real to my heart. I need him to change my heart. And thank God through Jesus Christ, he offers us his spirit who comes and does that internal work, right? It's not just saying, don't do this. Stay away from the prostitute. Stay away from the, 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 the adulterous woman. No, God wants to give us his spirit. And he wants his spirit to dictate the course of our life. He wants us to be ruled by his spirit in the sense that we love. You know, I, I remember hearing a pastor speaking of, of a missionary from India. And the missionary from India saw this lady who he was called to minister to, and he struggled with lust in his heart for this woman, and he knew it was wrong. And the Lord led this missionary to do something that I thought was just, it, it was perfect. He began to pray for her purity. And as he prayed for this girl's purity, all of a sudden God began to renew his mind. And he began to look at this woman not as an object, like a man would a harlot, but as a woman, as a daughter, as a sister, as a mother, as a person. And so we see this warning here, not only for the harlot, but notice the adulteress here is it's a big time warning. She will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Of course, we know the answer to that. It is no. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Again, what's the answer? No. You might be able to do it for a short term, but you're not going to do that very long. Pretty soon, that's, you know, the old tiptoes isn't going to suffice. So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Of course, speaking of sexual connotations here. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. And you know, Solomon should know this firsthand because his own father, David, remember as he was out, when he looked out through the window and he saw Bathsheba bathing upon the roof and he lusted in his heart for her. He said, I got to have her. Even though she's someone else's wife. In fact, she's one of his best soldier's wives. And you know the story, right? He ends up sleeping with her. She gets pregnant. And David realizes, uh-oh, I better cover this thing up. 
So what does he do? He calls her husband, Uriah, back from war and says, hey, Uriah, you know, you're home. Have fun. Enjoy your wife. But too bad Uriah is too, too worthy of a soldier. He's too loyal to his people that he would not sleep with his wife. And so what does David do? Well, he gets him toasted, gets him drunk. Thanks. Well, if I get him drunk enough, he's going to go sleep with his wife. Guess what? Nope, won't do it. So finally, what does he have to do? He has to resort to putting Uriah out into the front lines, retreating from him where he gets killed in battle. He commits murder. He tries to cover up his sin. And one sin leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. Now, when he lusted after her on the roof, I don't think he ever pictured or imagined that it would end up in murder, right? I don't think he played the tape and said, where will this go? No, he just thought for the second and said, I gotta have it. And that second made a decision that would have ripple effects to where the child would die. In many ways, his family would be a mess his entire life. And you can rewind the tape and you can play it and you can see that it all began with that thought, with that moment of lust not dealt with properly. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Okay. Now, it seems like he's making an abrupt change here, but he's just using the thief as an example. That when you see someone who steals to satisfy their hunger, the world will usually forgive that person. They will understand why this man did what he did. He's hungry. He has to eat. He has to survive. Are there still consequences? Of course there are. In fact, biblically, the law would prescribe that he would have to pay back two times what he stole. Now, when it says sevenfold, the, word, the number seven typically is a number meaning completion. And the idea is that the thief, yes, there will be consequences, but they are consequences that can be paid back to the full. They can be paid back to completion. It may cost him everything, right? He may have to give up the substance of his house. He may lose everything in the process, but the consequences are not as severe. And when you compare that to verse 32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so, what? Destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give many gifts. And what Solomon's trying to get after here is, yes, the thief will have consequences. Those who go into prostitutes will have consequences. He's not saying that, you know, it's okay to go sleep with a prostitute or it's okay to go steal. But what he's saying is those things, when you compare it to adultery, when you compare it to that level of sexual sin, you better be ready because the husband of that woman is going to come after you. Whether it be in court, legally, he'll get everything he can, or whether it be taking matters into his own hands. And he will not be satisfied until literally death do you part. 
And so this is a grave warning. Solomon's trying to warn his son that this is something that will destroy everything in your life. Everything good that you've worked for could be lost in a moment. My son, chapter 7, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. When it speaks of the apple of the eye, it means the pupil of the eye. It's the most delicate, precious part of the body. It's necessary for seeing. It's necessary for leading us. And therefore, we must protect it at all costs. And so we need to allow the word of God to be there as the apple of our eye. It should be the most precious thing to us. That everything that we see in this world should be filtered through that lens. Right? As Christians, shouldn't we see everything through the lens of Scripture? I mean, I hope tonight, even as I speak to you, I hope that you are processing what you're hearing. I hope that you're thinking, how does this align with Scripture? Is what Luke is saying always line up? Because you know what? If I say something that's against Scripture, I need to know. I don't want you to take anything I tell you for granted. We want to be like the Bereans, amen? We want to be testing it. We want to see things through the lens of the Bible. No matter who's speaking, Because man is fallible, but God's word is infallible. His word is eternal. His word is perfect. His word is living and active. And it's amazing when you begin to look at the world through the lens of the scriptures. Think about before you knew Christ, how you viewed the world. And think about after Christ, how you were in the same world. Oh, but what a different lens how you perceive things differently. Even when we look at things like sexual sin, things that destroy people's lives. You know, before Christ, some of us, that's what we live for. After Christ, we begin to see it from a different perspective, from his perspective. And so bind them on your fingers. In other words, let them always be before you. Your hands are kind of always in front of you or you're always seeing your fingers wherever you go. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin. They should be precious to you. That they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. And as we keep God's word in verse 1, we see his word will keep us. You see that? In verse 1, keep his word. In verse 5, that they may keep you. And so keep God's word in your heart. Keep it always before you. And that word will keep you from sin. Only God's word, coupled by his spirit, has the power to keep us from the seductive words of sin. Do you realize it is a war of words? That as believers, we face a battle. And that battle is up here. That is a battle of the mind. And it is a battle of words that contrast one another, conflict one another. You know, in the New Testament, we talk about it, there's this battle between the, the, the spirit and the flesh. The flesh and the spirit. And it's those two voices battling for us. It's battling for our hearts. It's battling for our affections. And as believers, guess what? We better know the truth. We better know the word because if I don't have that word, I'm going to lose the battle. I need truth in the midst of lies. Isn't that what our Savior did? Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? I mean, the first thing that text tells us in Matthew 4 is he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says the Spirit literally drove him into the wilderness. 
And every time temptation came, every time the lie came, what did he do? He quoted the word. But, but please understand me, it's not just a magical formula. It's not just like, well, let me just quote scripture and all of a sudden, you know, the enemy's going to go away. The enemy didn't go away right away. See, the power came not just because Jesus quoted the word. The power came because he was submitted to that word. And as he was submitted to the word by the power of the spirit of God, he was able to resist temptation. And so what does that tell me? That tells me, number one, I better know the word for the day of temptation. I better be submitted to the word and I better be relying on the spirit of God because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I need the Lord's word in this battle of words, in this battle for truth. And now Solomon, he's going to give us a case study. He's going to give us not just a picture of sexual sin. I, I, I don't want to just narrow this to say this is just sexual sin. This is a picture of all sin. And we're going to see just laid out before us the progression of sin as we look at chapter, the rest of chapter 7. Let's go to verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. Now, in the original language, it's pictured that, uh, that Solomon is looking down. In other words, he's on the second story right now. They didn't put windows on the first story of homes in this day because of thieves. You know, if you live in any city, you realize you, you, if you do have windows on the first floor, you better have bars. You better have something to keep the thief out. And so he's looking through his window... From the second story, an interesting sin tells one story, God's word tells a second. And saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. And notice how he describes this young man, among the simple, devoid or lacking of understanding. Now here's the question I want us to think about. Why is this young man in this story simple without understanding? I think there's a couple possible reasons. Number one, maybe he was never told. Maybe he was never warned. Maybe he didn't have a father who said, don't go down this path. That could be the case. But maybe he was warned. And maybe this young man, even though he was warned about this, thought that he could play with fire, but not get burned. You see, isn't that how we think sometimes? We think that somehow we are different. That somehow we're the exception to the rule. Everyone else gets burnt by this sin, but not me. I'm going to beat the odds. I'm greater than statistics. It won't happen to me. I am in control. I can just talk to him or her. I can just look but not touch. I can go to the bar. I won't drink. I can hang out with them, but I'm not going to use drugs. I can steal. Oh, and I'll pay back later. I can say whatever I want to say and let my mouth just flow. I'll apologize to them afterward. Remember, God's word tells us to flee and to avoid the path. We don't tempt ourselves and we don't tempt the Lord. And so he perceives this young man, this man of devoid of understanding. He's clueless, right? Some people would say he's a dimwit. <laughs> Passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house. Now, we should be alarmed by this because in the book of Proverbs, we've seen the principle of the path, right? It, it doesn't matter what our intentions are. It really doesn't matter what his intentions are here. 
what are his intentions? The text doesn't really tell us. Does he know what he's doing? Does he not know what he's doing? We know he's not very smart. We know he's simple. We know he lacks understanding. But we don't really know the motive. The point is, the motive doesn't matter. What matters is the path that he's on. And what we see is he's on a path that's dangerous. You know, a, a movie that my boys like would say this, his tail should be tingling right now. He should be warned as we look at this young man. Does he know where he's going? Look at verse 9. Look at the, the time frame of this. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. Now, this is, of course, a time when he has no business being outside, right? It's a time notorious for various kinds of sin. And if you think about places of sin, aren't they usually dark? Don't they usually lack windows? They lack sunlight. In verse 10, And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. In other words, she's dressed to kill. You see, as this young man sees her attire, he should have known her intentions. But he's already blind. See, when he went down the path, he started down a path that has a destination. And this woman is just the next stop. She's just the next stop in that destination. He doesn't even understand who she is. She's dressed to kill. She has the dress of a prostitute. She's dressed to allure, man. And she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Literally, the image is that she's going to and fro. Does that sound familiar? See, sin causes there to be a lack of inward peace, which works itself out. Did you ever see someone who's just infested with this kind of sin? There's no peace. They're just always moving. Always got to go somewhere. And even today, we see the street corner, especially at night, it's still known for sin, isn't it? Now, where you see where our society is today, see, a society like this, where things are done in the dark, there's still a conscience. There's still a general conscience of the society. But when you see the things that used to be done in the dark, now done in broad daylight, that tells you where a society really is. And when you think about where America is today, and the things that go on in broad daylight that used to take place in the dark of, darkness of night, and today we even celebrate it. We celebrate it. And it's devastating. You know, I remember, I remember in New York, I mean, you, you don't have to wait for night to see that stuff to happen. In broad daylight, you see a drug deal right in front of your eyes. In broad daylight, you see people nodding out right on, right on the sidewalk. You don't have to wait until night anymore to find these things. And even here in Cumberland, you know, you see things. You see the sidewalks. You see the things there on the ground. You know, one of the saddest things for me, I remember walking my, my Jesse, our, our oldest, I remember walking him to kindergarten, or my wife usually did. And every morning on the way to kindergarten, you would see condoms all over the sidewalks from the night before. And so our society shows us its conscience by what happens, not just at night, but what happens during the day. And even the street corner back in Solomon's day as well as in our day is notorious for sin. Notice verse 13. Notice what she's going to do here. She's already dressed to kill. 
And so she caught him and kissed him. And with an impudent face, she spoke to him. She said to him. Notice, though, that it states here that she caught him. You see, if you put yourself in his shoes, he thinks he caught her. Man, he thinks he's hit the jackpot right now, man. He's been looking for this for a long time. And she just found me. In fact, she was looking for me. And we see that she caught him. See, with sin, we think we win. And now we'll see how sin entices us. Verse 13, so she caught him and she kissed him. And with an impudent face, she said to him, I have made peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you. Notice the, the religious guise that she plays here. And there's a debate about this when it says that she offered her peace offerings. Is she a Canaanite woman worshiping the fertility cult? And what they would do is they would offer these offerings and it would be consumed by the gods and they would, they would take the remainder of it and, and have a fellowship meal and then have a sexual intercourse as part of their worship of that deity. Was she a Canaanite woman or was she a rogue Israelite woman? Where she's using the leftovers of the offering and enticing this man. The, the honest, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who she is. She's one and the same. Whether she's worshiping a false god in one of the world religions or whether she's under the guise of Judaism or Christianity, she's the same person. She's a seductress. She's an adulteress. And you see this today, you know, even within the church. I, I cannot begin to tell you how many people I've heard who are married or who find someone in the church who are married. They're not happy with their present relationship. Oh, I've been praying for someone who just understands. I've been praying for someone who just loves Jesus. And under the guise of religiosity, people fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You know, it's sad. Some people actually go to churches to pray. You know, I, I've met a lot of guys, unfortunately, through the years. Ladies, take note. Just because you see a guy in church doesn't mean anything, right? Because different people pray upon different areas. And some guys look at church women as easy prey. Because they would say that church ladies tend to trust a little bit more than maybe girls on the street do. And so be wise. Realize who it is that you're speaking with. I always think, you know, for some odd reason, you, you see someone who goes with someone who's already in a relationship and then they get surprised when that person cheats on them. It's like, well, they cheated on the person they were with when you met them. What makes you think they're not going to cheat on you? Again, it goes back to the person. And so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your Face and I have found you. Notice how sin becomes personal here. It's all about you. Forget about those who you love. Forget about those who love you. I have sought you and I have found you. Now remember in verse 12, what did we see? She wasn't looking for him. She was just going to and fro. She was just looking to see who she could kill, who she could get fast money from. Or, it, or sexual pleasure from. She didn't care who it was. The face made no, no difference. But again, he's deceived. One commentator said, Men use brute force to overpower women, but women use seduction to overpower men. 
And notice how sin is personalized. Have it your way, right? Supersize me. Sin tells me what I want to hear. You can taste and be satisfied. Just a little won't hurt. And she's going to continue to just seduce him verbally, as we see here, verse 16. I've spread my bed with tapestry and colored coverings of Egyptian linen. And of course, this would be very soft linen from Egypt, probably red in color. It was a sign of luxury. It was a sign of comfort that only people who were very well-to-do would have this. And so this woman is coming from a very wealthy background as we see this. But notice how sin presents itself as soft here. And when we look at different kinds of sin, isn't it interesting that it usually starts out seemingly small and soft? You know, I, re- I remember seeing an interview by Dr. James Dobson uh, where he interviewed Ted Bundy when he was on death row. He was getting ready to be executed. Ted Bundy was a serial rapist and murderer. And uh, when you looked at Ted Bundy and his background, as he began to talk to Dr. Dobson, he stated that he grew up in a good Christian home. And he said that his parents gave him everything his heart desired. And eventually he would stumble across, I think, some type of soft porn, whatever you want to call it, something like Playboy. And he said that his journey into porn went from something like that, naked women, to darker and harder and more violent. Until finally he became the monster that ravaged and wrecked people's lives and destroyed lives. And it all started with something that seemed so innocent, so minute, so meaningless. You know, when you see people fall into sin, don't think that that person was on fire for the Lord, loving Jesus with all their heart, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they just, everything falls apart. No, it's a progression, right? It's step by step by step by step. Sometimes because it's so soft at the beginning, we don't even notice it. And we need to pray to the Lord, Lord, let your spirit check my spirit, Lord. When it comes to that first glance, Lord, check my spirit. Let me be sensitive to your spirit. How many times when you guys went through the book of Hebrews did it say to listen to what the spirit has to say today, right? Today, listen to what the spirit is saying. Because when you reject his simple promptings today, the heart becomes hardened and calloused. And pretty soon, you don't feel anymore. And you begin to do things that you never thought you would do as you go down this progression. We see the progression here right before our eyes, right? He went down the path, and she was there dressed to kill. And she begins to speak to him. She grabs him. She kisses him. She tells him, it's all about you. I've been looking for you. She lowers his defenses. And it's all just the same story, regardless of the kind of sin that it is. Notice verse 17, she just continues to pour it on. For I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. And so sin allures through our most powerful of senses, right? Sense of smell. She's just, she's just getting his imagination now, just running. He's there just engaged with her, right? He's not like Joseph who ran. He's not fleeing. He's just engaged with the enemy at this point. And she's just feeding him line after line after line after line. Oh, the sheets are smelled beautifully with perfume. Just as a side note, did you ever notice the names of colognes and perfume? 
You ever notice that? Obsession. Seduction. You know, I, I've never seen a perfume called Sweaty and Hairy. <laughs> but they're always seductive terms. Why? Because that's what sells. And so she's caught his attention, she's caught his eye, she's caught his senses, his imagination is running wild, no doubt by now. And notice finally, come and let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Notice her term here that she chooses to use. She calls it love, right? It's about making love. Listen, sin refuses to speak the truth. And we need to call sin what it is, right? In fact, when we talk about confession, do you realize the word confess just means to speak the same? In other words, when God says something is sin and we confess our sin to him, we're saying, Lord, you say that this is wrong. You say that this is sin, Lord, and I'm in agreement with what your word says. And so sin, it, it speaks lies. It tells us partial truths. It refuses to speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And today we see our society is filled with these lies, right? We call addiction disease. We call gluttony a mental disorder. We call materialistic idolatry as kleptomania. We blame hatred on those who've harmed us. We look at privilege as an entitlement. Everything in our world, we flip the script and we refuse to call it for what it is. We make excuses. We make ourselves feel better. And for the moment, it works, right? For a moment, it makes you feel okay. Uh, I'm out of, I, I really don't have any say in this thing, you know? It, it, it's, just, it's just what's happening to me. It's just part of nature. And so the, the, the terms that our world uses, they do put a temporary band-aid on the, the reality. But I think if we're honest, deep down in our soul, that temporary band-aid has absolutely no fix to it. And it leaves our conscience guilty before God. It leaves us feeling guilty and miserable. And it really, the world has no remedy for sin. It has no remedy. The best the world can do is try to change your old man, your old nature. The best the world can do is can take this harlot and put makeup on her. That's the best the world has to offer. Every program out there under the sun it's just putting makeup on a corpse. That's why I'm so thankful for what God's doing in this church, even through our broken chains house. Because in order to deal with sin, we have to call it for what it is. We have to be honest. We have to face truth. And truth is hard sometimes, right? I mean, even as I look through Proverbs, this is hard language. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. Now, what is she doing here? This is really clever of her. Notice that sin offers safety or minimizes its consequences. When it says the husband, literally it just means the man in Hebrew. The man won't be back, right? Nothing bad will happen. You will not die. Does that sound familiar? You eat of this fruit, you're not going to die. He's, he's far away. No one will know. David learned the hard way that someone knew, right? See, David thought he got away with it until God sends Nathan the prophet, blows the spot, 
and shows him that God sees. And so she promises him this security. She really only wants to use this young man for her own lusts, right? Because she's making no commitment to him. She's not saying, oh, let's go run away together. (laughs) No, she wants the best of both worlds. She wants the wealth of her husband and the pleasure that this young man can provide. But she uses both and loves neither. And she makes no commitment to anyone other than herself. And there's no real intimacy here, right? Just physical pleasure. Because why? Intimacy intimacy requires unceasing commitment and trust. I mean, isn't that what our hearts really long for? I know guys don't use that term intimacy very often. But literally, it just means to be fully known. And we long to be fully known by someone and still loved. That's what terrifies us. I mean, I think if we're honest, all of us, isn't it terrifying to be fully known? To, to be exposed for who we really are? And God's design is that two people, a man and a woman, can be so fully committed to one another that it allows for intimacy to blossom and flourish. Why? Because no matter what I learn about you, I'm here. I'm not leaving. I love you for who you are. And sometimes even despite who you are, I love you unconditionally forever. Now, why is that so amazing? Because that's the love of God. That's the love of Jesus Christ. That's the love that he has for his church. That he took us in all of our sin. Look, this text, I'm not here to condemn anyone tonight. I condemn you, I condemn myself. But the love of Jesus Christ says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were maybe in some of the bondage that Solomon's warning us about, he loved us. We were fully known to him. And he tells us he's committed to us. It's the love of God. And the love of God for his church is a picture of the love of a husband and a wife. And Solomon understands that this love that this this adulteress is offering is not love at all. It's a lie. It's a charade. It's false. And it leads to devastation. She offers him so much and asks for nothing. But the wage of sin is death. And so verse 21, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. He's been reduced to an ox. It's not even thinking. He's just gone to be destroyed. Or a fool to the correction of the stocks. He's, he's, it's like he doesn't even know what's happened. And now all of a sudden he's getting off the bus in chains. Doing a life sentence. And doesn't even remember it. Doesn't even know what's happened to him. Immediately it's come upon him. Till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. Isn't that devastating? That's the devastation of sin. 
And now, therefore, listen to me, my children. This is his plea. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Notice the term were. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And by the way, she didn't say that. She neglected that part. Right? She had you sign the dotted line, and yet there was the small print that she, dis- she forgot to disclose. But that's what sin does. And so we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our inner life. We need to cast down every single thought that enters into our mind that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, against the knowledge of his word. We need to guard our eyes, the things that we focus on, the things that we meditate on. We need to guard our path. Lord, what is the path that I have before me? Because it's a matter of life and death. But I always want to end with good news, right? Because we realize that Jesus walked the path for us to the cross so that we could go free, so that we could be forgiven. And so no matter what we read here, you know, I think there's something for all of us here. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God that even though this young man ended up destroyed, we're still here. That the Lord has mercy on us. He spared us. He's allowed us to live for today. And so may we seek him with all of our hearts. And here's the amazing thing. When you seek him with all your heart, when you have his word in your heart, his word will preserve you. It will protect you. But ultimately, his word will reveal the God who your heart longs for the most. And it's in him that you will find pleasure, ultimately. It's in him that you will find peace. It is in him that you will find everything that you were looking through this harlot or through that relationship or through this or that. You were really looking for him and you didn't even know it. And when you find Christ, you realize, wow, Lord, all that wasted time. I don't want to waste any more time because time is short. Seek the Lord. Walk with him. Confess sin. Repent. He will forgive you and move forward with your Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warnings that you give us. May we heed them, Lord. May we not be like that that fool, Lord. How tragic, Lord, is his life. I think of how many people, Lord, today are looking back at their life, Lord, and realizing that it's, it's all been meaningless. It's all been worthless. It's all been a pursuit of pleasure that's left nothing but emptiness. Thank you, though, Lord, that you came down and you stepped into this world to show us you, Lord, to show us that you're so much greater, to show us that you have the desires of our heart in your hand, Lord. May you reveal Jesus Christ to our hearts, that he would become more precious, Lord, that sin may decrease and that he may increase in our life. Protect us, Lord. Protect our flock. Protect our children. Protect our families, Lord. Father, those who are on that path right now, Lord, those who are addicted, those who are living that life, God, we lift them up to you and we pray, God, that you would intervene. Lord, unless you intervene in that man's life, Lord, he was heading to the stocks. But Lord, we believe, we've seen in our own lives that you intervened in our life, Lord. You protected us from death. God, would you help those, Lord, who we love. 
We praise you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that it's not your desire that any should perish, Lord. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.